0: Welcome to the Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Javon Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: Today we're sitting down with Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey. We recorded our interview on Monday.
1: We'll discuss everything from COVID-19 to the election as well as the current legislative session. Let's jump
0: right in. We're down here at the governor's office. Governor Ducey, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for coming to the governor's office.
0: It's been nearly a year since COVID-19 upended our lives. You took a lot of heat when Arizona was the worst hotspot in the nation for the spread of the coronavirus. Today we're one of the national leaders in terms of getting at least one shot one vaccine to residents. But we're we're still having a hard time when it comes to getting everyone sort of fully vaccinated and really containing the spread as 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 best as we can. What are the drivers of heading in this good direction?
2: Well, the focus right now is completely on the vaccine. Of course, the virus is still with us. So we have to stay vigilant. We have to stay responsible, wear our masks, socially distance, everything everybody already knows. But I think it's important that we say it again, because we're not out of the woods yet. And I'm proud of our team and how we've focused on these mass vaccination sites. You've seen State Farm Stadium, home of the Arizona Cardinals and JJ Watt, Phoenix Muni, Chandler Gilbert, University of Arizona. So we're, we're in a race against other states. And there's a collaborative competition of people sharing best practices. And I want to make sure we get that vaccine out far and wide to everyone who wants it. Uh, it's something that people need to get. It's it's safe, it's effective, and it's free. And Yvonne, I'm not going to have a better deal than, than that this session.
1: So, Governor, um, we talk about the vaccines and their effectiveness. The reason that there's so much interest in that is because of the cost we've already paid for that. Nearly 16,000 Arizonans have died. Hundreds of thousands have been sickened. You've really been uh, sort of in the the tug of war on this from people saying that you were slow to adopt a mask mandate of any kind to allow room for that. And then also from folks who said you, you closed too much of the state down too quickly, too long um you've also allowed political rallies to unfold in this swing state uh in the past year uh, taken all kinds of political heat from all over when you look back at the past year do you have any regrets about the way that you have managed this as the chief executive for the state do you wish that you had taken more action more quickly or or been more clear in your signaling
2: we've made the best possible, most responsible decisions. We could the entire time. I'll continue to do that. We followed public health the entire time. We certainly didn't follow politics. I'm better at politics than that. And we, of course, are going to uphold the United States Constitution in the state of Arizona. That was non-negotiable.
0: We've made some great strides when it comes to bringing down these numbers of, as we've said, but it does not seem to be evenly enjoyed. Just 8% of the 1.5 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine allocated statewide have gone to Latinos, for example. However, Latinos make up about a third, about 33% of the state's population. Why are we seeing such disparities when it comes to distribution of this vaccine, and how do you fix that?
2: So make no mistake, all those populations are important to us, but we started out with healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, emergency medical responders, people 75 years old and older. As the populations go to the general population, you'll see what are being defined as equity numbers rising rapidly. We also have to deal with the vaccine hesitancy that we have in many of our populations, along with the, uh, the historical uh, reasons why some people do not want the vaccine. So we're reaching out far and way, wide, meeting with faith-based leaders, community leaders, and really doctors and subject matter experts who have credibility in all these communities. And these communities are our focus, uh, and we'll be doing things in addition to the mass vaccination sites, actually taking the vaccine to these communities in mobile settings, and pharmacies, so that we can increase vaccinations. What we want right now, Yvonne, is the coalition of the willing. There's only about 55% of the population that even wants the vaccine, if we were able to provide it to everyone today. So we'll build confidence over the course of time and have better ideas on how to distribute it as time unfolds.
0: What's your timeline on those mobile sites? vaccination sites.
2: Everything's on an as-soon-as-possible timeline. I mean, we're working with the federal government, pushing as hard as we can while maintaining our relationships because we think Arizona deserves more than its population distribution because we have so many folks that migrate here from cold-weather states yet are not residents and came in that October-November time frame when the vaccine didn't even show until December.
1: So, to be clear on that, is can you give us any kind of uh, date that you think would be realistic when anybody who wants one can get one,
2: I'm, I, I want to underpromise on this and, and overdeliver. So, there will be an, an announcement today on an expansion in age category, and we'll continue to go there and work with the CDC on prioritization of vaccinations. But we're, we know all the evidence is in folks that are older, are more vulnerable, and people with underlying health conditions, and that's how we're going to prioritize the vaccine. So
1: the other side of this, of course, has been the economic price that we've paid throughout the pandemic. Um, one of the things that has been a recurring area of concern, it seems, is the uh, support for those who lost their jobs. The the jobless funds, uh, this state's uh, direct support, the $240 a week, uh, has been revisited by a number of folks uh, at different times. It seems there's uh, some appetite to raise those funds. Uh, which are among the lowest in the country. Can you sketch out your thoughts and and how that might play out, how it might impact business and what kind of timetable we're looking
2: at? Well, the past year has been incredibly difficult on on all Arizonans. I mean, especially those that have contracted the disease or have lost a loved one through this, but it certainly has affected our kids and our schools and our economy and our small businesses. I will say that I think there are some things that Congress got right throughout this on aiming higher, on plussing up our unemployment benefits so that we were able to partner with them and take folks that were displaced by no fault of their own and provide them with income. $13.3 billion in Arizona alone has been distributed over the past 12 months to more than 2 million Arizonans. So with what Congress is considering right now, I do think that the package should have targeted support and relief to people that maintain and continue to be displaced. And I'd like to see more of a focus on small business.
1: But as far as revisiting Arizona's normal time unemployment aid, the $240 a week, is that anything that you think needs to be revisited or is that adequate in more normal post-pandemic times?
2: I I want to have public policy that, that supports employment and having people incented to work. And I want to work with the legislature on those types of solutions. I do think through this, we wanted to make sure that our social safety net was stretched and and that it was strengthened, and we've been able to do that to to date.
0: So it would be accurate to interpret that answer as you are not um, really interested in having a conversation about post-pandemic unemployment aid.
2: Well, what I'm concerned about right now is pandemic aid. We're in, in a pandemic. I do believe we're coming to the final innings of this long ball game or fi- final miles of, of this marathon. And that's why I'm very interested to see what Congress is going to put forward before I speak beyond that.
0: Do you have any um, specific issues with the $1.9 trillion? plan that yes yeah, so uh, specific Biden.
2: issues many specific issues it's too big it's too much it's not targeted enough I do want to say first and foremost I'm for targeted aid to people that are continue to be unemployed or have been displaced and to small business owners I have no interest in building infrastructure in Silicon Valley or a museum somewhere else in, in the country so let's pull the fat out of the program. Uh, let's get aid to people that need it. And then let's let our economy reopen and blossom naturally.
0: Throughout this pandemic, you've had a strange relationship with Senator Kirsten Cinema. She was pretty open, pretty blunt about her criticism and the way um, she thought that you could have done more to um, handle the pandemic. When's the last time you spoke to Senator Cinema, and what did you speak about?
2: The last time we spoke was uh, earlier last year, and we spoke about her opinion on the pandemic.
0: And is it concerning to you that we're in the middle of a pandemic and the governor and the state's senior senator do not have a speaking relationship?
2: Well, that's not accurate. I'll work with anybody that wants to be productive uh, in helping the state of Arizona. I listened to the senator. Uh, it's easy to criticize. The governor's job is to make decisions.
0: What did she say to you?
2: Why don't you talk to her?
0: Do you see a way to have a productive relationship with her moving forward? Or what sure, has to happen I'm, I'm for that work, to happen?
2: I'm going to work with whoever will work with me on things that will be in the best interest of Arizona citizens.
1: So following up uh, sort of in the same light, when is the last time that you've spoken directly with the mayors of Phoenix and Tucson uh, through all of this? And and can you give us a sense of how those relationships are?
2: I would say I'd give you the, the same answer. These these folks know how to get a hold of me. And if they have something they want to talk about, they know where to find me.
0: We do have a new U.S. Senator, Mark Kelly. Seems like you two have a good working relationship. It sounds like you're speaking frequently You are conveying your concerns to him um, about various legislation, the COVID package, etc., How do you uh, view that relationship, and um, do you sense that there is space there for a long-term productive relationship?
2: Well, that's how I would uh, term the relationship. I would say it's been productive to date. And, and of course, I mean, I want to work with people that want to work on behalf of the well-being of the citizens of Arizona. I've tried to stay out of the politics of this and focus on the public health.
1: So speaking of politics, um, another thing that you've taken a lot of heat for was the way the elections unfolded in this state. Um, You took a lot of heat, mostly from Republicans, um, in certifying the 2020 election results. The state Republican chairwoman uh, Kelly Ward has continued to raise questions of the election integrity. The subject of election uh, administration is obviously still a subject here at the legislature. Um, There is a good number of people in the public who don't have confidence that the elections were managed appropriately and continue to have that shaping their views of our current politics. What does that mean and how do you as governor begin to have people engage on this in a fact-based productive
2: way well there's a lot to unpack there in terms of the questions that you laid out i would say first and foremost um i was incredibly supportive of the the president and his re-election and that policy agenda up until november 3rd then after that uh, my job is to uphold the law and, of course, uh, respect the Constitution. All 15 counties in Arizona certified the vote, meaning they counted the vote, they tabulated it, they audited it, and they determined it to be accurate. So my responsibility after that, of course, was just to fulfill my my legal. Responsibility In terms of the misinformation that's out there, there is a lot of misinformation. There's also a lot of concern around the election and there is legitimate concern. And this isn't new in this election cycle. Four years ago, people were saying that it was the Russians that hacked our elections. And that's the reason Donald Trump was president. There wasn't any truth to that. Uh, There are some claims that have been taken forward through law enforcement and legal channels. Uh, That's the proper way to adjudicate these things. I do think Arizona does elections well. I spent a lot of time defending Arizona elections. You'll also notice when the Texas lawsuit went to the Supreme Court, it named four states and it didn't name Arizona. So I do think we've been a model in many ways that we have voter ID that determines that someone is a citizen and a resident of the state and that they are age appropriate, that we verify our signatures, every single one by a human being who's been trained up to FBI standards. But this is not the way every state does it. And states like Pennsylvania did make a decision willy-nilly in the last months before the election to accept ballots post-election day. Places like Nevada proactively mailed out ballots to everyone on their list with over 200,000 people that had moved, left the state, or were deceased, and it eroded confidence in our election system. And I think we have some work to do as elected leaders to rebuild that.
0: How do you undo that damage? I mean, you have, we talk to voters every day who feel as though their vote didn't matter. So why vote again? How do you, how do you encourage these people to continue to be engaged in a system that they think fundamentally is fraudulent? I
2: don't know that you can undo what's what's happened. Uh, You can talk to Democrats to this day that will tell you that George W. Bush stole the election from Al Gore in in the year 2000. Yet there's been all kinds of reporting and investigation, I think including by the New York Times, that says by anybody's measure, George Bush won that county that was contested in Florida and won the state of Florida, therefore won the, the presidency. So to me, it's about what we do going forward. And I do think we have a responsibility to make certain our citizens understand our election process, why they should have confidence in it, where maybe the weaknesses are. And then we need to address those weaknesses. Uh, that's what we call reform or, or improvement in legislation in Arizona. We've been very good at it since 1992. In many ways, we're a model state. I had to answer a lot of questions from a lot of smart people post-November 3rd. And in almost every setting, they said, wow, other states don't do it the way Arizona does it. That's a a model best practice. So I think this idea of a compendium of best practices or model legislation at the state level for for election integrity uh, is important.
1: So on that, uh, can you outline any areas that strike you as especially ripe for re-examination here in Arizona in light of what we just saw in 2020. Um, You've noted repeatedly the things that we're doing well. Are there just some areas that to you seem not at all needing any kind of reform?
2: Well, in in government, I always think there's room for improvement. I do think there are some things we do really well. I am a big believer in in voter ID, and we have voter ID in Arizona, along with signature verification. I do think this idea of making sure, especially in a state where we have so many people moving in to our state, and thankfully, we don't have a lot of people moving out, but we are a very mobile country. And I'm a believer that elections should be handled at the state and county level and not at the federal level that we should make that certain that our that our voting lists are are accurate on a on a rolling basis. I think that would be a, a positive reform.
0: Do you see any room for uh, reform in some sort of initiative or some sort of um, uh, effort that is taken to voters in twenty twenty two?
2: Well, I'm a I'm, I'm a believer in the legislative process. When something's done at the ballot, it's it's basically permanent and unchangeable, and anybody that's ever signed a law knows that there are unintended consequences, things that you can't see that are uh, unforeseen when you you sign that law. So in the legislative process, you have the ability to come back and reform a law, improve a law, or strike a law down. So I do think that that Republican small R process of a check and a balance and uh, the the not kind of the sexy advertising barrage that we see in September and October in our state that oftentimes comes from out-of-state dollars and people can position something in a way that sounds really good and then we're stuck with it. So um, I, I'm a bigger fan of the, the legislative process and to do the hard work and the heavy lifting to get that done. Hey listeners, here's a
1: bit of context for something the governor's about to mention. This deals with the sports betting bill that would allow pro teams to run sports books in Arizona, as well as open the door to expanded tribal casinos in Metro Phoenix. So let's talk about the legislative process for a moment here. You've taken a lot of heat in the past year. how many times (laughs) are you gonna say (laughs) I've taken a lot of heat? I I feel for you in the past year. (laughs) One thing that that has been a recurring theme is that you've been caught up in what seems to us like this tug of war. On the subject, though, of sports bookmaking, this seems to have attracted bipartisan support here, which is a a commodity in rare supply. It's also had some buy-in from the tribes, it seems like. But as we understand it, this is a deal that, despite Democratic and Republican buy-in on something that the tribes are supportive of, is also imperiled at the moment because people sort of uh, wanting to continue to dress up the, the provisions that it would account for. Do you feel that you have been as transparent with the folks at the legislature in what should be in this deal and what everybody is agreeable to in a way that would steer this thing away from controversy, you know, on something that seems like most people have an interest in?
2: Well, nothing's easy uh, in in politics or in the legislative process. And this has been over the course of time, somewhat of a hot button issue. It was a considered a social issue in the year 2000. I think today it's seen more as a modernization of something that exists and wants to be brought up into the 21st century with what's going on with the major professional leagues, the internet, et cetera. So I'd say on this one, there's a lot of different things you could point at that will be much more uh, difficult or, or troublesome. Uh, l- let this breathe a little bit. We're going to be transparent on this, but the compact is so something that was negotiated over 20 years ago. There's a lot of details in it. I understand when somebody wishes we could come back and renegotiate everything, but we do have a a framework on the table, and we're looking to improve that framework.
0: It sounds like it drew opposition when folks learned that you pledged or promised an unspecified number of new casinos here in Metro Phoenix, more slots, more uh, new table games that are not currently available here. I wish I knew more about them. Um, Do you wish that you would have approached this issue any differently, and how do you get it back on track? Can you give us a sense of your discussions behind the scenes? Well,
2: this this is the challenge of the negotiation process, and the legislative process is tough enough. Now, think about when we're working with our tribal nations. There's 22 of them that exist. Uh, They need to get on the same page to begin with, so they have a lot of conversation among themselves before we can engage in the conversation from the governor's office and then bringing the framework of a package that the legislature weighs in on as as well. So it really is a step one, step two, and now we're in step three of the process.
0: So for the average consumer or tourist here to Arizona, what would this look like in your, your your, your best version of this plan, what would this look like to them?
2: Well, I would say, one, Arizona will remain Arizona. We'll keep the the culture that we have in the state. There is gaming available. It is on the reservations. Uh, people that want to do it seem to enjoy it a, a lot. And uh, of course, it gets uh, good reviews. And this will be a modernization of that along with some, some sports betting, fantasy sports, those types of things that people of become accustomed to in other states, but I don't think you'll notice much of a difference on the ground in, in the state of Arizona. We'll keep the culture that we have as a state, which is dramatically different from a place like Las Vegas, Nevada, which is known for its gaming, and it's in your face uh, the entire time, and it's part of the reason people go there and enjoy it and all the other things that are available with that. With This will be the footprint that we have now that keeps pace with the growth of our state, but also uh, main, maintains what we value most about our state.
1: Yvonne and I are both parents of school-aged children, and mercifully, they are back in school. <laughs> so we're grateful for that. It's something that is one of the more tangible signs of the the pandemic sort of receding uh, as a front burner uh, disruption in people's lives. With that in mind, uh, why are Republicans at the State House looking at expanding a voucher system that voters really rejected two years ago? Uh, something that was more modest than what's currently on the table for a situation that's largely abating.
2: Well, first, I want to clarify, there is no voucher system in Arizona. Vouchers were determined to be unconstitutional by the Arizona Supreme Court some time ago. What we do have is a scholarship program in Arizona for Native American children, for foster children, for uh, autistic children. And this is a simple expansion of that scholarship program for poor kids for low income kids. We know we have an achievement gap in this country and we have an achievement gap unfortunately in in this state. And I think the pandemic has really brought to light how bad distance learning has been for these kids. Oftentimes they don't have Wi-Fi or multiple computers even though there's multiple children in the family. Uh, Yet some of these school systems have not been responsive at all to these children's needs and this this flexible scholarship would address this and it would go to uh, our poorest children and families and it would help them much like it's helped our Native American families I think I uh, in the last day of the state that we were able to do in person we had some of those families here on the floor to talk about the unfairness and some of the bureaucratic decisions that were made around these scholarship programs so we want to provide it to our low end income kids. And I think uh, uh, depending on how the law is written, this idea of parental choice and school choice is a good thing for these families. To
1: be clear, should it be means tested?
2: Well, it we can have a discussion about means tested. The way I understand it's going to go to the uh, Title I the kids in Title I schools, and they're working on the language right now, and the kids in the Title I schools are the low-income uh, schools that have free and reduced lunch. So those those are the kids that I believe need the help, and uh, I don't want to make perfect the enemy of very good, but let's let's see what the, the legislation says.
0: Shifting gears to the sexy stuff, the politics, you have been pulled into this GOP civil war of sorts about the future of the party it's still grappling to the degree with the degree that it wants to stick with trump or go another way you're chairing the republican governors association and as such you have obviously quite a few eyes on you nationally you've not been involved locally in some of these intra-party squabbles that we have seen down at the arizona republican party you do not have a relationship with chairwoman kelly ward uh, there's no clear path forward for the Republicans here in the state of Arizona. How do Republicans find their way out of this wilderness of sorts? What path do you see yourself taking as you help chart that course?
2: Well, my path would be as leader as the governor of the state of Arizona, as you said, as chairman of the the nation's Republican Governors Association. So the path forward was laid out in my state of the state. And let's begin by lowering taxes in the state of Arizona. Let's improve our education system so that we can provide education for all of our kids, wherever they are in the state. And I do think that Republicans get focused around an agenda and ideas. And these are ideas that are certainly, I believe, the governor of all the people of Arizona. But this is the agenda that I ran on, that I won on, that is a reliably, of course, Republican and conservative agenda, properly communicated. And what's what's happened has happened. I said we would respect the uh, election results, but the focus right now should be on this legislative session. This is where our opportunity is as a state. And if you want to bring it down, I I don't during session, like to talk politics, but I granted the interview and you asked the question, <laughs> so I'm going to address it directly. But these are, are issues that should, should bring Republicans together. And I think also they are bipartisan ideas that can uh, attract independents or center left I- individuals. And then we'll have a record in which to run on in 2022. And that's the best way to heal a rift. Whenever a party loses or is out of power, there is a, uh, a back and forth. There is a finger pointing. There's an after action review. But what you're talking about in terms of the state party, uh, what a state party was in the days of Doty London Versus what a state party is today is just dramatically different. It doesn't have the power to get someone in a race or push someone out of a race or determine who wins a primary. The basic role of the party is to register Republicans, raise resources, and win races. And by any measure, the, the, the leader of the state party has failed at all three.
0: Will you get involved in recruiting potential candidates for governor in 2022?
2: I, as part of my role as leading the Republican Governors Association, there's 38 races uh, in the United States, maybe 39 uh, with what's going on in California. And part of the responsibility is to recruit candidates to run for office and then to make certain that they have the resources to win those races. That's a that's a role that I'm going to embrace.
1: OK, so if you didn't like her last question, you really won't like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your electoral future. 2022, 2024. A lot of folks are looking at you as potential Senate candidate, maybe presidential candidate. Uh, cabinet. Can you clarify your own intentions? What makes the
2: most sense for your future? None of that's anything I'm considering at, the, at this time. Uh, I've always been someone, and this is my private sector training from Procter & Gamble, is to focus on the work on my desk and to do as good a job as possible with that. And then opportunities and options open up. This is the office that I wanted. I wanted to be governor. Uh, I've said it a number of times Throughout our relationship together Yvonne with you asking these questions that this is the job that I wanted and I wasn't focused on anything else. So I have 671 days left two full legislative sessions. This is basically the beginning of the fourth quarter. And uh, it's a big agenda here in Arizona. Uh, I'm excited about what's possible. I think this could be our most successful legislative agenda to date. I'm a smarter and wiser governor. I have a incredibly talented and experienced team. I have a wonderful relationship with the legislature and that's what I'm going to focus on in my day job. And then after that, I have my responsibilities in the in the RGA. So my plate is full and that really is where my focus is.
0: So you met recently with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Did the discussion of the Senate race in 2022 or 2024 come up?
2: I'm going to keep my conversation with Leader McConnell in in confidence, and I've answered that question by saying that I'm not running for the United States Senate.
0: But did anybody else's name come up?
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to keep that in confidence. I'm going to keep that in confidence. I uh, There will be a time for politics. I mean, folks were just sworn in, I think, just six weeks ago. And I said uh, in the state of the state or soon thereafter, let's let politics stand down for a bit because we do actually have work besides just putting our names on ballots and running for office. I mean, the people's work's in front of us. And the part of the job that I enjoy the most is is governing and, and leading. And this is something we we can talk about after session as we do head into that 22 cycle.
0: In your role as chair of RGA, you are talking to a lot of donors. You are in the room um, with these, uh, these folks. What do you think they want to see moving forward from the Republican party, from candidates? What do they want?
2: Well, it's, it's a big party. It's a big tent. And I think they may somewhat Define conservatism from a different standpoint. But by and large, people want to see at the state level things like lower taxes, lighter regulation, uh, lower liability and litigation, uh, school choice. These are the types of things that certainly unite governors and we share best practices. In terms of the party, people want to see victories. And I think we do have a lot to be optimistic about. 75, nearly 75 million votes. Uh, We kept every Republican legislature throughout the country. We added two chambers. We added an additional governor. We're at 27 Republican governors. I think we're within nine seats of taking back the House of Representatives by all accounts. We should take back the Senate in 2022 with the special election in Georgia and the laydown race in New Hampshire. So I think there's a lot to be excited and optimistic about. But the best way to have an excellent 2022 cycle is to make sure we have a record of real results in 2021.
0: So I've always said, and this is going to be my final question, I've always said um, that I did not see you as a legislator. I sort of saw you as potential cabinet position, uh, returning to life in the private sector, um, potentially VP, maybe presidential candidate. What does Angela Ducey see you (laughs) as?
2: You know, somebody played a clip for her about you said she's the X factor. (laughs) So my brother's been calling her the X factor. Um, Angela, I would say, has uh, really enjoyed her role as, as first lady and has been able to focus on things that were important to her, like adoption and foster children. I will say the people of Arizona are incredibly warm and welcoming. And I know there's a lot of mean things that are said on on social media, but in, in public, in the airport, when we've been out, we've never had a, a, a negative interaction. And we've been on a lot of sidelines. We've been in a lot of... Uh, Uh, parking lots uh, dropping off and and picking up along the way. And people want to express their opinion, but it's always been done in a very polite and constructive way. And I think that we've both found that refreshing, especially in such a challenging environment. And to be completely candid, I think I made some news when we went away for our 30th anniversary. Uh, And we didn't talk about politics at all. Uh, Of course, we still have kids that are getting on their way or or launching. uh, And that's our our primary focus as parents and a family.
1: Very good. Governor, thank you so much for your time. We'll let you get back to your day job. (laughs) Thanks very much. Appreciate you you making time. Okay, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, that was a pretty wide-ranging interview with the governor. Uh, We covered a lot of different subjects from the pandemic, both the health and the economic fallout, and also moved into some politics and some current legislative matters. Out of all of that, what really kind of stood out to you that uh, the governor mentioned?
0: There were a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one, the fact that he has acknowledged, I think, what we all sort of openly behind the scenes have known for some time, that there is no relationship there with Senator Kirsten Cinema and the mayors of Phoenix and uh, Tucson. That's Kate Gallego up here in Phoenix and Mayor Regina Romero uh, in Tucson. I think we brought you that news first back a year ago when their conversations really um turned uh, pretty harsh uh, when in, when they were criticizing the governor and it looks as though those relationships have not been repaired. The fact that they haven't been repaired, I think, um, sort of says a lot about the styles of each of our elected officials. I do wonder though what sort of um, effect this is, has had on their abilities to deliver for Arizonans. I think they would all try to argue that it hasn't had an effect. But um, clearly, when you can't maximize a message on all fronts, I, I would think that there would, there would be some effect there. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the final question, asking him, what are donors in the room looking for? <laughs> and he said, uh, school choice. Ooh, deregulation, lower taxes, essentially all the things that I've been trying to give you over the f- the past six years or so. So I think it sort of reaffirms our notion that he certainly is positioning himself for something bigger and other than governor of Arizona. What struck you?
1: Yeah, I, I guess I would echo what you just said uh, in many ways and, and add to it this way, that, for example, on jobless aid, there was no intention to address that from him the uh uh, you know the message that he had about you know not wanting to vary from his day job and such those are pre-existing uh conditions that we have heard from this governor for many years now if you've been listening carefully this was a doug ducey who was not going to uh sort of recalibrate and and come out with a new message this was very much a pre-pandemic governor's message from someone who has emerged from this uh, very much the way he entered it. Uh, he is the executive. He wants to be in charge and, um, it is up to others to figure out how to work productively with him. He is not going to just abandon his, his, uh, view of how to proceed in policy or politics.
0: That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: Today's episode was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell with help from Marisa Dominguez and Amanda Luberto.
1: Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.